Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Well, Jeff, welcome to Cut for Time. And we are covering um, what was first going to be called um, The Magician, and you, yes. we, you had retitled it to be The Power. So yes. go ahead and give us a recap from your sermon, The Power, on Sunday, and what it was all about. So we were in Acts 8, 9 to 25, and this is the section that follows uh, Philip has been preaching in Samaria after the, after the uh, persecution breaks out. The disciples are scattered. Philip goes to Samaria. He's preaching there. And then this guy, Simon, becomes sort of the center of this whole section of text where uh, Philip comes and uh, is preaching and God is performing signs and wonders through him. But Philip is this guy in Samaria who has been really, I mean, it's almost hard to think of what he would be like in in our culture, uh, like a rock star celebrity, super wealthy, you know, impressive person. But in a spiritual sense, he's like performing all these signs and wonders and people are paying attention to him and calling him the great power of God. But then Philip shows up and he preaches the gospel. People are being converted and following Philip. And it says uh, Simon also believed and he was baptized and he starts following Philip around. Then uh, then Peter and John show up because it's, maybe I think this is a question we'll get to. The people in Samaria who believed had not yet received the Holy Spirit. They'd been baptized into Jesus, but the Spirit had not yet come on them. So Peter and John come and lay hands on these believers, and, and they are filled with the Spirit. And Simon says, that now he's really impressed. Wow, I, I, that is real power. So let me have this power. I will, I will give you money if you can let me have this power. And Peter turns and in just the most uh, I, harsh terms possible rebukes him. Uh, and, and it's kind of an echo back to Ananias and Sapphira. You thought you could buy the gift of God with money, uh, and you and your money can go to the hot place, essentially, Peter says, uh, repent of this wickedness. And Simon basically prays uh, and calls on Peter to say, oh, I pray that nothing you've said will happen to me. And that's basically where the story ends. It's sort of left open-ended in terms of what happens to Simon. But uh, the reason that I, I changed the title t- uh, to talk about the power is because it's really, it is about power. It's about Simon having power and being impressed by power and wanting power, but apparently with kind of messed up motives. His whole life has been about being rich and powerful and somebody, and he thinks that that's just apparently the way it works in the kingdom of God because I'm rich and powerful and impressive, and therefore I want to have whatever this power is that Peter and John seem to have. And the way life works is you get money and you get power and you use it to get more of it. And so I'll just transfer that into following Jesus now. And Peter rebukes him, I think, because it's a total misunderstanding of what it means to be great in the kingdom, what it means to have power 
and who the power really is, because Simon is apparently thinking of power as a thing that you can have, a resource that you can manage. And Peter is trying to clarify in really stark terms, no, the, the point is not how much of God's power you have, but how much of us God has. How much of me does the Holy Spirit have? Because he is the power to know and follow and live out life with Jesus. So that's that's kind of the you know where we what we talked about with the message. Uh, and I, I think there's because it's focusing so much on Simon, I think it's meant for us to wrestle with some of those same questions. Uh, you know, we're we're not maybe as blatant about it or intentional about it, certainly, not like Simon was, but there is something very much about I think all of us, human nature, us as Americans, us as just you know, people who are struggling to kind of figure out what it means to live in Jesus' kingdom. Well, if power is good, shouldn't I want more of it? Doesn't, you know, doesn't God want me to have power and the ability to make things happen? Of course, for his kingdom, you know, I mm -hmm. surely it's, you know, with good motives, but uh, I, I think this is meant to call us to wrestle with some of those questions about mm -hmm. how we get power, how we use power, why we want power and authority and recognition. Uh, th those are the questions I think that Luke wants us to wrestle with. Mm -hmm. And you said in your sermon, um, a question that Simon should have asked is, what does it mean to be great in the kingdom of God? And mm. so if we ask ourselves, if we ask that question, Jeff, what would you say? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, right. I mean, Simon's life, again, has been power and wealth and recognition and uh, having a platform to, to make a big difference. And as I tried to say, the point is not that those things are bad, uh, but to be great in God's kingdom. I mean, we see it from Jesus. We, we see it in Peter and James and John and Paul is to be a servant, is to take a place of serving and humility and uh, to say to be great in the kingdom, if we think back to, oh, you know, Jesus teaching on the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, or what Paul says is the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit, the evidence of God's power, God's presence in our life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, humility. If, if I have those things in increasing measure, I, whether I have wealth or power or a platform or the ability to make things happen or influence people, I'm growing to be the person God wants me to be. Mm -hmm. That's what it means to be great in the kingdom, I think. And, and Simon, like, we don't know if he ends up getting it because of what, you know, how Peter confronts him. But I think that's what we're supposed to be looking towards and, and filtering stories like this through the other things that we know that are clear about what it means to be what does jesus say it means to be great in the kingdom he has to rebuke his own disciples just like peter does with simon when you know remember james and john are arguing about we want the positions of authority in your kingdom yeah. mm -hmm. and jesus says okay you're going to be in my kingdom and you're going to follow in my kind of life but Positions of authority, that's not the way it works in the kingdom. That's the way the rulers of the Gentiles lord over people. And that's not what greatness is in the kingdom. Yeah. It's service and love and self-sacrifice and generosity and looking out for others. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
Um, all right, Jeff, we had a te uh, question texted in and I ran it by you and you said, this is great. You were hoping someone would ask this. So um, we give you an opportunity to talk about this uh, in yeah. the text. So um, verses 14 and 15 and kind of 16, um, it says, uh, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, um, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. And the question is, hmm. why did the apostles <laughs> need to come and pray for the Samaritan believers to receive the Spirit? Yeah. Explain that a little bit. It sounds like they already had heard the word of God and right. don't can't they receive the Spirit without that prayer of Peter and John? So why did that yeah. need to happen? Yeah, so this is an example, I think, of where it's good to remind ourselves, one, that uh, narrative text history like this, we often say is a descriptive uh, kind of writing, not prescriptive. In other words, Luke is recording what happened, and he's not necessarily saying this is the way things always happen, but this is the way it happened in this case. And, and that leaves us to wrestle with, well, why did God do it that way in this case? Mm -hmm. So uh, I we don't know is the is the short answer, but I, the what I've been wrestling with and thinking about uh, in terms of this is uh, if we remember the context of uh, Jesus has given this mission to the church and empowered them and said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And the Holy Spirit is going to come on you in power to to fill you and empower you for that mission. But it hasn't gone beyond Jerusalem at this point. And, mm -hmm. and we know from what we've already seen, and even from what we see in this passage, and it's going to come up again, this is like crossing that cultural, religious, ethnic boundary for these uh, Judean Jewish believers is a big hurdle. Because everything that they have come to understand about God is the Jewish people, particularly in the Holy Land, we are God's chosen people. And if Gentiles come in, I mean, that's okay. But but the idea that the, the mission and the work of the Spirit and the gospel are expansive and are, are like going out intentionally to draw people into God's kingdom, they're still figuring that out, right? Like, and and that's still a tension point. Like the, the book of Galatians that Paul writes when he talks about having to confront Peter about withdrawing from eating with Gentiles when some people from Jerusalem showed up, there's this internal struggle that I think the, the apostles themselves are wrestling with. And I think that this is meant to both confirm to these Samaritan Gentile believers and to the apostles themselves that they really truly belong to the body of Christ. And up until now, everything has been happening through the apostles themselves, right? Like everything has been happening through uh, Peter and James and John. And now people are coming to believe in Jesus through Philip and through others who are, who are being sent out who aren't apostles. And so this, in a sense, almost seems like it's a transitional experience or expansion, if that makes sense. So Peter and John show up as apostles, and, and they're, in a sense, um, declaring their blessing, approval, and affirmation 
that these people really are followers of Jesus and the Holy Spirit fills them and lives in them just as much as anyone else. And, and interestingly, we don't see this kind of thing happening again, really, in the book of Acts. Yeah. Uh, from here on out, now that, in a sense, now that the precedent has been set here in Acts 8, we're going to see, you know, Saul's missionary, Paul's missionary journeys going out. And we don't really see any more of Peter or John or anyone having to go out from Jerusalem to confirm that those Gentiles really are Christians and they really belong mm -hmm. to Jesus and the Holy Spirit really does dwell in them. Mm -hmm. it, it's almost like I think this is a unique kind of um, clarifying statement that God is making through this experience that doesn't need to be repeated. So, for example, you know, when Paul goes out on all these missionary journeys to Antioch and Lystra and Derby and, you know, into Europe, you don't ever see or hear again that the Holy Spirit didn't come on these people, uh, except in the one case uh, a little bit later where there were people who had only received John's baptism, uh, which I think we're meant to take like the, the John the Baptist, like repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it's a little unclear in that one case if they really have believed in the fullness of the gospel and who Jesus is, or if it was just a baptism for repentance. But that's the only other case, as, as far as I was looking, in, through the book of Acts, where there's this uncertainty about the Spirit not coming on people. From here on out, I think we, we're just meant to assume that because if the Holy Spirit can fall on these Samaritans, and James and John as apostles are are approving and affirming that. Well, that settles it going forward. And and so we don't see that happen anymore. Um, so I, I think there's it's a it's a clarifying example for us, for James and John, for these Samaritans, and for all the Gentiles who are going to come to believe in Jesus from here on out. Mm -hmm. Because we don't see again, again, the, the need for the apostles to go and uh, and give their, in a sense, stamp of approval. This mm -hmm. settles it. Uh, so, it's, yeah, that's a great question. I didn't have time to get into it, uh, but I that's I think that's what's going on here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but because there's this open-ended question, right? Like, are the Gentiles really the same as us in the kingdom? Because, you know, there's there's sort of second class people. And and I think this is meant to say, no, that there's no question. That settles it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So what else did you maybe not have time for? And what did you have to cut for time in the Oh sermon? man. So um there's an interesting whole man series of rabbit trails you can go down around this character Simon. Uh, who's sometimes known as Simon the Magician. And yeah, it gets confusing because there's Simon Peter, the Apostle. So we'll just stick with Simon for the Magician and Peter for the Apostle. Uh, but interestingly, there's in the in the second and third centuries, there's writings that we still have records of uh, floating around the, the Christian world that sort of tell some more about Simon the Magician. And some of them are, I mean, just like fantastical mythologies in a sense like there's a story that was floating around of simon having gone to rome and then leading people astray and peter confronts him and it's almost like they have a showdown of who has the biggest miracles and Pi peter you know vanquishes him by the power of the spirit and simon is overthrown uh there, there's this it brings us into this whole 
uh, world of uh, what we might call New Testament apocryphal, sort of unknown or unauthorized writings. So, and, the, and there's a whole range of uh, writings in this category. Some of them are um, helpful and and probably true and accurate things that were recorded, but they're just not they they don't have the stamp of having been inspired by the spirit and, and there was not universal acceptance by the church and so they're not part of the bible they're writings like the uh, the didache which means the teaching in greek which was just sort of a compilation of kind of um moral teachings and applications of how we follow jesus and and how we should structure the church and how we should structure our homes and uh, mm -hmm. another one called the shepherd of hermas which is sort of a devotional type writing um, a sort of Christian devotional writing like we might have nowadays, right? Like uh, how, what does it mean to be a godly husband or father or wife or child or parent or employee or boss? Um, uh, how, how should I live in following Jesus or devotional writings reflecting on what it means to know Jesus? Then, then there's other things like some of these writings about Simon the Magician that seem kind of fantastical and we sort of doubt whether or not it really actually happened that way but there's nothing inherently sort of unchristian or uh you know that that's impossible about it it's uh just sort of like that's you know maybe written again sort of devotionally maybe with good intent but you know not really sure how much credence we would give to you know simon and peter having a you know magic uh, superpower battle in rome uh and and then there's another category of books and writings that were circulating around the you know second third century that were very intentionally written to try to offer uh, a heretical non-Christian alternate story about Jesus and who he really was and what it really means to know Jesus. And, and that goes into the whole category of this sort of uh, sub-Christian view called Gnosticism, which suggested there was like this secret knowledge that, uh, that you know, if you were in the inner circle you had and that really told you the real truth about Jesus. And a lot of it boils down to kind of a a uh, worldview that's shaped by Greek philosophy that says, well, you know, what really matters is the spirit and spiritual and the body is just, you know, flesh and it's going to go away. So it doesn't matter what you do with your body. The, the mm -hmm. God only cares about spirit. And so there are things like the gospel of Thomas and the acts of Peter and things that claimed to be, you know, authoritative. But when you read through they're they're clearly not at all in the same category as the gospels in terms of reliability trustworthiness and when you hold them up against the uh the the new testament writings of our bibles they're clearly teaching a very different kind of philosophy a different kind of salvation a different kind of worldview that is leading people away from jesus mm -hmm. uh and, and so the, those things are still around and they're you know historical collections of them and it it, it just takes us off into a whole interesting world of uh like if you imagine remember when uh people didn't have easy access to bibles or maybe even didn't know like you're a maybe you're a follower of jesus in the second century in some you know remotish corner of the roman empire and you don't have a bible and 
and and then this other story starts floating around or you hear about this other perspective on Jesus and what do you do with it and so that's where the church was having to intervene and and step in to these spaces that some people were trying to fill in because there's just mm-hmm. there's a lot that's unanswered questions right like you were asking me like so what happens with Simon and the answer is like we don't know he doesn't show up in the rest of the book of acts and so mm-hmm. some people stepped in you know maybe with good intent to flesh that out with stories that were intended to encourage people's faith uh and some other people with less good motives tried to step in and you know sort of it's almost like fan fiction of the new testament um you know, if, if anyone's really interested in that kind of stuff, you can even go online and find these things have been collected. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, part of the reason I didn't share it in the sermon is it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really help us in our understanding of what's happening here in the book of Acts, but it's, you know, if you're a bit of a history nerd, like I am, it's kind of fun rabbit trail to go down and like, wow, that's wild. Mm. Um, but it's also good to remember none of that should make us question what we have in our Bibles or the faith that's been handed to us. Uh, it makes us grateful uh, for the confidence that we have in our Bibles and and the message that we have received. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and it's this is like the perfect context to be able to share those types of things. It's cut for time. So I'm thankful we yeah. have it and we can you can still uh, share that with us a little bit. And we can choose to go down that rabbit trail if we want to. Yeah. So, you know, if if we were having, if we had like a grow class on, you know, one of the, the gospels or the book of Acts, I mean, that'd even be a great time to read some of these particular passages and talk through them. And, and like, so, wow, why do you think someone wrote this? Or what do you think people were hoping others would take out of it? And how does this compare to uh, what we actually see in the gospels and who Jesus really is? And yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for your time today. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Enjoy the fall weather. I'm so happy for this. It's cozy season. We get to wear flannel and we had a fire in the uh, backyard last night, sitting out making s'mores. And uh, I love fall. Yeah, me too. It's great. Yeah, it's been beautiful. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.